0: The Trust Away podcast brings together experts across the surrogacy and egg donation industry to have thoughtful discussions about how to participate in assisted reproductive technology in an ethical and moral way. Hosted by myself, Abby Helmuth,
1: and Zach French, me, from Seed Trust, the leading third party escrow provider dedicated to bringing more transparency and safety to family building. Each episode features insights from doctors, lawyers, surrogates, intended parents, and other professionals.
0: By highlighting best practices and showcasing partners pioneering a better future, The Trusted Way aims to educate and empower those navigating fertility journeys. The information and opinions expressed on the Trusted Way podcast are for general informational and educational purposes only. They are not intended to serve as medical, financial, or legal advice. Guests on the show share their own expertise and personal experiences, but their views do not represent the views of the podcast or Seed Trust. Abby Helmuth and Zach French are employees of Seed Trust, but their opinions do not represent that of Seed Trust. Before making any medical, financial, or legal decisions, please consult your own physician, financial advisor, or attorney. Links or recommendations to third-party products or services are not endorsements or promotions, and following them is done at the listener's own discretion. We are not responsible for any loss, damage, or issues arising from interacting with outside parties and encourage performing thorough due diligence.
1: Well, welcome to the second episode of The Trusted Way, a Seed Trust podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Abby Helmuth.
0: Hello. We're
1: super excited to be here with our second episode. We are right at the tail end of open enrollment. Uh, we thought no better person to connect with than Virginia Hart, CEO of Art Risk. Hey, Virginia.
2: Hey, how are you?
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're super excited for today's episode. I'd love to start just getting to know you a little bit better. What is the story behind the woman that is Virginia Hart? So
2: um, I was born many years ago. No, uh, So I actually, uh, art was kind of evolved over time. It actually, I was a director of human resources who changed careers because I learned I don't play nice in the corporate sandbox And so I decided I had to go out on my own. And a friend of mine was an insurance broker and said, you'd be great at at doing this because you understand employee benefits. And I said, you're crazy because it's sales and I don't sell things. Um, But I gave it a try because it was an intriguing thing to try. So I did and worked with her for a year and then went out on my own totally And as a single mom, that was a scary thing to do, but I had confidence in myself, so decided to do it. And one of my clients was a surrogate agency, and they asked if I could get insurance for their surrogates. And I said, I have absolutely no idea. Interesting question. And this was probably in 2000, 2001, 2002, right in that era. And so did some research and found out what was on the market. And um, hooked up with a plan that was offered through Lloyds of London a couple of years later. And then in 20, 2010, Art Risk was actually formed because at that point in time, the surrogate industry was taking up more of our time than the employee benefit side. So we started gradually doing that shift. And so we formed Art Risk in 2010. And we've been full on. Um, Third-party reproduction with a little bit of individual, a little bit of Medicare, and a little bit of group insurance thrown in.
1: That's great. Thanks for sharing that. It's uh, it's interesting how when you start in this niche, it seems almost far-fetched that someone would need something like this. And then, as over the years, it's really grown uh, so much. Can you tell us a little bit more about maybe the? I guess, reactions that you were getting when you were, were starting to build your business and starting to grow the surrogacy insurance related offerings that you had and then how that has kind of transformed to today?
2: Anybody who is not part of third party reproduction can't believe that there is enough business to sustain um, not one, but two and potentially three or four agencies that do this. And yet there is. Over time, it's grown. Our business has grown. We started with myself and one employee. And then we had employee, Jesse was employee, I think, two. Then we had employee three that was called Sarah. Play, employee four was Adriana. And then from there, we've just blossomed. And at this point in time, we have 40 some odd. I know it's over 45 because it's open enrollment and we hire a lot of temporaries during open enrollment. So we have many employees and it's grown and one of the reasons why it's grown so much is that we just truly believe in service. And in order to service the insurance we sell, it's very people intensive. And this is a people business and it's a relationship business. So you you can't just say, oh, go to my website and look it up because people have questions and they're investing a lot of their money to be able to create a family. And so our goal is for them to create a family in a financially safe environment and provide them the service and answer every question they may possibly have.
0: And so that's why we keep growing. Thanks, Virginia. And, you know, probably since 2010, you've seen a lot of changes evolving. And um, how does your team keep up with these changes from state requirements to maybe certain hospitals and different billing clinics? How do you keep up with all of that?
2: Again, we have a very large staff that helps to keep up with it. At the beginning of open enrollment, open enrollment is November 1st to January 15th for the most part. There's some Idaho ends on the 15th of December. I don't know why. And some states, very few do extend beyond that. But we just do a lot of research. So we start in September and we start asking insurance companies for their evidences of coverage so that we can look at them. We when somebody says my surrogate wants to go to hospital Y, we make sure that we have an insurance plan that hospital Y is in. So we're looking at providers before we ever issue a quote. When we find out that a major hospital system is leaving the network, or in California, Oscar left the network this year, Friday left the network in six State. So we let our people know, hey, this change is happening. You need to get new insurance. We're here to help you get new insurance. So we really stay on top of a the thousands of emails I get from insurance carriers that say this change is happening, as well as what's going monitoring state legislation as
0: well as monitoring insurance policies. So it's a lot. Yeah, it sounds like surrogacy insurance isn't necessarily a one size fits all kind of deal. Um, It's going to depend on many different factors. So how do you go about tailoring those different coverages for certain individuals or sets of intended parents in their surrogate?
2: That's where the consult comes in. And so we like to have a consult with every intended parent. We don't always, because some agencies handle more of the insurance than others, but we find out, does the surrogate have insurance? If so, is it surrogate friendly? And that's why we do policy validations. If it is surrogate-friendly, do we need to put in a secondary or a backup plan? What do we need to do to protect them? How much life insurance do they need? What's written in their contract? Loss of reproductive organ, complication insurance. And not everybody needs everything. So we really like to find out where are the gaps and how do we fill those gaps to make sure that the intended parent is financially protected. And every journey is different. You can't just say, everybody gets this. This. Because yeah. somebody could be overinsured, which is just a waste of money, and you don't want to underinsure anybody and, prevent, and create a liability for the intended parent.
1: Makes a lot of sense. So I guess for, for the intended parents out there, uh, or maybe the, the newer surrogacy agencies, what are the actual insurance policies beyond you know your typical medical insurance that you're helping people with?
2: So, beyond medical insurance, we take a look at, um, first of all, we do a policy validation to see if their medical insurance will work or will not work. And then we go from there as far as the medical goes. Um, We also recommend complications insurance, which covers the gestational carrier from the start date of medication through the transfer and any complication that would occur due to the transfer. And the reason why that's important is that even though she has health insurance, a health insurance policy has the right to deny coverage for not for complication due to a non-covered service. Most insurance companies do not cover fertility benefits. Therefore, and she is probably not deemed infertile, right? So she wouldn't meet the definition of the insurance company's policy. Yeah. Therefore, if a complication did occur due to the transfer of the medication. Whatever they would have the right to deny that, um, and then the intended parents would be financially responsible for those bills. So we feel that's important insurance to get. Contracts also ask that you have life insurance on your gestational carrier. We typically use surrogate accidental death because there's no underwriting; it's guarantee issue. It goes into place the day after the policy is paid. If they, they have a medication, uh, you know, after the start date of medication or after. So one-time premium, it's valid for 18 months. Um, should you still need a few months after that, you can buy it on a month-to-month basis, so very inexpensive. And to that, there's three riders that you can add. You can add loss of reproductive organ because the contract's going to say if your gestational carrier loses a fallopian tube, an ovary, it, um, a uterus, or everything, you know, you have to pay your cash. So that will cover that liability. You can also add permanent and total disability, which says if she is disabled on a permanent basis, which is over a year and cannot do two of the seven activities of daily living, it will pay her a flat sum, which typically isn't in a contract, but it's just a nice thing to do because what if, right? Thank God we've never actually ever had to ask for that. Nobody's, it hasn't happened. Yay. Um, but if it does, I think an intended parent would feel very badly if they knew that they had permanently harmed their gestational carrier. And then the um, the other insurance you can add to that is call our rest is called. Um, it's, it's not truly short term disability, but it will cover lost wages, daycare, and housekeeping due to a complication pre birth. Um, it does not cover post birth. But then we also during our consults are going to ask, does your surrogate? Have disability insurance. California mandates it. New York mandates but, it. Connecticut mandates it. So there are some states that are starting to mandate that employers cover lost wages. But in New York, the maximum is 170 a week, which I don't know doesn't go very far. Yeah. Um, so then we also say, where does your where does your surrogate work? Does she have um, the opportunity to purchase a short term disability policy? Most of them are voluntary, which means it will come out of her paycheck. Most employers have it come out of your paycheck pre-tax, so the it's not very big. The only caveat with those is you have to conceive after you have the insurance. Uh So it's open enrollment for a lot of employers. And so we're telling everyone, go ask your surrogates if their employer (laughs) offers this, because it can save them a tremendous amount of money if they're not paying for last wages. So... So those are the types of insurances that they need.
1: That's interesting. What what is the how has like the um, the regulatory landscape transformed from you know when you first started to to now?
2: Right. So I used to call Texas the vast wasteland of insurance because <laughs> um, in the olden days before the Affordable Care Act, um, maternity was not mandated, and so therefore there were many states that did not. A lot. I mean, you could get an individual insurance plan, but you didn't have to cover maternity. Um, and so the other thing is, is that you would have to purchase the insurance during. I mean, it was you could purchase it at any point in time prior to being pregnant, because there was no open enrollment period, which is a downside now. But um, you had they were all medically underwritten, so anything that in that surrogate's medical history could kick her out on um, if she had skin cancer, you know, if she had an old substance abuse or an old DUI, things like that could um, make them disqualified. So that was always a challenge. Um and some states, as I said, didn't have it at all. After the Affordable Care Act, which 2013 was the first year that you could do it. So we're whopping it, we're 10 years here, we're on our 10 year anniversary. And we have done it since year one. So we always say, this year will be better. And every year is better, but every year there's a curveball. But anyway, um, so they made maternity as an essential benefit. So technically, maternity by law should be covered in all insurance programs. Um, the problem with that is, is that, number one, there's that open enrollment period that you have to enroll during, You know, as I said, November 1st to January 15th although there are seven states that do allow pregnancy as a qualifying event. So that's actually new because there were none. And now that's more and more states are making pregnancy a qualifying event. Um, There also are plans in states that do not cover surrogate pregnancies, even though I believe legally they have to. Uh But the CMS, which oversees the whole ACA, said that they did give the states rights. So every state has benchmark plans. And if the benchmark plan excludes it, then they allow it to exclude it. Although there are carriers that have been allowed to exclude it because I just don't think anyone's brought it up to their state insurance department. We try, we, we write letters and get annoyed at them. And they say, you're not in or Cal- you're not in, Ohio. So how can you say this? But I'm licensed in Ohio.
1: Um, <laughs> so so am yes, I? I
2: can. Yeah. <laughs> um, so th- yeah, so that's been an interesting dilemma. The other interesting thing that's happened is that in California especially, um the lean language has just taken hold. It used to be only Kaiser had lean language. And now um almost every carrier does. There's one that doesn't. There are a couple that have lien language, but it is they follow California Civil Code 3040, so it's only one-third of her compensation. All the others, it's 100%. And then in every other state, because they don't have that California Civil Code, it it could be 100% of her compensation. In most states, it's not a huge deal, and it's very easy to find a plan that doesn't have a lien. California is becoming more and more of a challenge. So that's kind of how it changed. In Nevada, there actually was legislation that was passed, I believe, three years ago now. It could be four because, you know, time flies. I know it was pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, that says you cannot, if it's a fully funded plan, you cannot place a lien, nor can you deny coverage if they're a gestational carrier. So it's actually about a four-line law, but it was brilliant and it worked. So one of the things that ArtRisk does is we're really big on legislation and changing bad law. And so we're, we currently are working with a couple of attorneys and trying to spearhead a similar law in California to get rid of the liens and to make sure that no plan can discriminate against a woman who's acting as a gestational carrier.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I mean, right now I see a lot of language circling around liens in gestational surrogacy agreements and Uh, the requirements there let's kind of pedal back to that could you explain what a lien is for the audience just in short terms and why maybe they would see it I know there's a couple plans out there that have it and you're working with other attorneys to um, hopefully remove that but um, let's talk about what that is to the viewers just for some that don't know what that is
2: sure What Aline basically says in kind of layman's terms is that if you enter into a surrogate contract, the gestational carrier has to provide a copy of her contract, as well as every names, addresses, phone numbers, email, et cetera, of everybody who is involved in the contract, so the intended parent. During the pregnancy, they're going to treat her just like a normal patient. You'll pay your co-pays, your deductibles, your co-insurance. There'll be no different treatment. And at the end of the pregnancy, you'll get a bill. And the bill will say, we spent $30,000 on your medical care. And it is after negotiated rates. So it's not retail. You're paying wholesale in simplest of terms, but it's still there. And what the insurance company is saying is intended parent She would not have had these bills had she not been in a contract with you. Therefore, you need to pay us back because we have been, quote unquote, harmed by the fact that you're paying her to be your gestational carrier and that cost us money. I think it's low. I think it's mean. I think it's a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but that's why they can do it. Um, Because there is a third party involved, and that's what they're counting on is is basically third party liability language, which usually is like car accidents, a slip and fall on someone's property, and they've just taken it and expanded it into a realm I don't think it belongs, but they're getting away with it. So that's that's really where it came from. And do we think it's right? No, not at all. And, and again, the carriers without liens, the reason why Blue Shield added theirs is that they just got, they had the best plan in California. And so everybody was using it and they said, well, this isn't fair. So they, they threw the lien in there. So, yeah.
0: Is there negotiation that needs to be had at the end? And is that done by the attorneys, by the insurance broker, who handles the negotiation if there is a lien in place?
2: Um, if there is a lien in place, um, you'll get a bill, and it should be one-third of her compensation. If, if the plan covers California or Civil Code 3040, it should be one-third of her compensation. If not, it can be up to her full compensation. And it can also, you know, as with other states, it's full compensation. compensation. There are attorneys that will negotiate and will try to get that number lower if they think it's an unreasonable amount. Um, and it is kind of be as like, prove, prove it to me, prove it to me that these truly were her medical bills. Um, and so there also is in California, an attorney that will take a look at the lien and he's got some interesting theories about how much could actually be charged. And his theory is that most of the compensation occurs before the bills occur, because with a pregnancy, most of the bills happen at the end. The OB is going to bill the hospital is going to bill. So you might have a couple thousand dollars prior to that, but she's receives, you know, 80 to 90% of her compensation prior to those final bills. So his argument, and I think it's actually a very sound argument, and I've run it by several other attorneys who agree, is that you can't, you can't put a lien on something that's already happened when the bills didn't happen. You can only put a lien on what's happened after she gets paid after those medical bills and you've actually incurred the loss because you didn't incur the loss in January, February, March, April, or May. You incurred it in June. And in June June and July, she received, I'm making these numbers up, $10,000. So that's really all you're entitled to. And it's actually a very interesting argument. Um, my husband's an attorney and he negotiates liens, but in another world. And I asked him, I made him listen to a webinar about it one day. Um, and he said, yeah, it's a great theory. He actually has a different one. I'm like, great. Well, then quit doing what you're doing and come do this. Um, he so far has not accepted my invitation. Um, I'm working on that. But anyway, I think it's a very good argument. And I think that if more people start invoking it and using it, we're gonna, it once the insurance companies don't make money on it anymore, then, it, then they're spending money to lose money. And they're not going to do that. Right. so it's the more pressure we can put on insurance companies, and I'll probably lose all of my appointments after this podcast, but the more um the more <laughs> pressure we put on them, I think the more realistic we can get them to be honestly you
1: know and, you you say that Virginia um
2: I'm not kidding of, actually, but yeah no, not, i know
1: and and one of the things that when we first met, um like I just like was mesmerized by is just your advocacy for the actual clients right even though you have to deal with insurance companies as a broker um what i see or what i hear from you is just always a passion to try and get what is right for the client and it's, it's really admirable
2: thank you yeah and no, i think it again especially when you're dealing with people who are turning to surrogacy because it truly is their only way to have a child um i don't think you know most women who become who are infertile never thought at age eight this would be their path right Mm -hmm. and when you're dealing with the lgbtq community this is the only way they can family build and it is an extremely expensive process and so anything that that's just why uh, anything we can do to keep those costs as low as possible and as reasonable as possible even though we are just you know a drop in the bucket is helpful so that's truly, it really is our passion, honestly.
1: I love that. Uh, we need more of that. I think uh, you know, having come into this industry as an intended parent originally, then morphing into the nonprofit now with, with Seed Trust for the past six months, uh, one thing that has remained consistent is that almost every single person I talked to in this industry is is has some sort of passion to see it succeed. Um I think many would, like you said, alluded to earlier, say, like, is this a big enough niche market to go play in? But unfortunately, the statistics are uh, making it so that it's going to be even more crowded every single year from here on out, just because infertility rates are going through the roof. Uh, And we are starting to be more accepting of people's different values. And uh, it's... We're gonna need a, a ton of support and a ton of knowledge from people like yourself, from people like Seed Trust that have been doing this for a long time uh, to make sure it's done the right way. I wanna switch gears a little bit, um, unless you wanted to say something in closing.
2: Nope.
1: Yeah. go ahead. So, you know, it is open enrollment right now. Um, people are you know they're used to maybe if from an employee standpoint picking a new insurance on their you know whatever platform they have at their uh at their current job what are you know some of the big you know five or ten things that you know different people that are considering journeys and that agencies should be taking into account uh while we're in this period of open enrollment
2: so I think that the first thing that people need to know is that you need to definitely take a look every year, even if you're enrolling as an employee in the same employee or a sponsored plan, you need to take a look at it again. Because if you evaluated it in 2023, that doesn't mean that 2024 is going to have the same language. My favorite example is Costco for years, Costco covered surrogate pregnancies. And then all of a sudden they threw in an exclusionary clause. Um, and if somebody was relying on, well, I had Costco last journey, and so I still have Costco, so I'm good, you're not. And you just, that's why it's very important that every journey, every, um, every year, take a look at that plan and make sure it did not change. Um, if it's a fully insured plan, the, the language is pretty accessible. If it's self-insured, it can get harder to find. But that's really important. So that's one thing I always say. Um, another thing that you need to take a look at is what is your employer offering you? Can, what other benefits can you pick up? Can you pick up long-term disability? Can you pick up short-term disability? Can you pick up, you know, what are they offering that would help in this journey? A hospital indemnity plan that's going to pay for every day you're in the hospital, which most journeys, it's two or three days, so it's not a lot, but if you're on bed rest in the hospital, it could be a month or a month and a half or two months. So that's important. So uh, take a look at what your employer is offering. And if you're an intended parent or an agency, have them sign up for everything because it's far cheaper to do it through an employer and it's available when it may not be available on the open market and it's going to be more expensive and it's going to be more restrictive. So whatever you can grab from an employer, grab from an employer. Um, And if an intended parent needs to pick it up, they need to pick it up. Short-term disability is literally through an employer, probably, you know, if it's a group plan, $15 a month or less. If it's an individual plan, it's going to be more, but still so worth it. And because it's going to pay after she gives birth. When you're out for six weeks, you know, which is typical with a pregnancy, two weeks before, six weeks after, that's a lot of money that an intended parent would not have to pay if there is disability. Um, My other thing is take a look at, make sure that everything in the contract is covered. Know that open enrollment ends. And then know what your options are. So let's say you're not planning on transferring until July. Do you need to purchase an ACA plan now? Or does she live in a state where we can cover an emergency situation or a complication far less expensive than have and then put an ACA plan in place next Jan, you know, January of 2025 at this point in time. Um so are there ways we can mesh things to try and, and bring down that cost? So knowing when the transfer is are uh, even, you know, everyone panics because it's like, I've got to do it now. And in most cases you're right, you do. Um, but there are also some caveats that you may not have to if you're especially looking at something or you haven't even decided on a surrogate. Right. Well, if you haven't decided on a surrogate, we can't get insurance for a a mythical person. It doesn't work that way. Not yet. Um, Not yet. Yeah. Someday. Um, So there's all. Yeah. So that's an interesting that's important to know, too, is that you do have other options in some states in 38 states, actually, where you can do the short term and the short um, the short term insurance, which can work. Um, I also think you need to work with somebody who is going to be there for you. Um, with an agent or an, that's not just going to sell you the insurance. And then when there's a problem, back off and say, oh, gosh, sorry, not my problem. Because this is a journey. It is not, you know, one and done. And the most common things that happen are like doctors can leave networks or you're told that your surrogate safe insurance isn't surrogate safe because there was an idiot, excuse my language, on the other end of the phone who did not say something correct. And so, you know, what do you do? Well, you need to have that straightened out because you want her to see the OB. So we actually get on the phone. We will work it out. We'll make sure that that happens and that she gets to see that doctor and that it was surrogate friendly. And, you know, we'll put the insurance company, the doctor's office and ourselves on the phone. Um, what happens if the agent made a mistake and signed her up for the wrong plan? What are they willing to do? To, because now... Let's say you picked a plan that was $2,000 deductible, and they enrolled you in a $6,000 deductible plan. Well, that's a $4,000 swing. Who's taking care of that? Right? So are they going to then make you financially whole, which in my opinion, they should, and we would. Um, we first try to avoid a mistake. But if one happens, we're, th- we're going to fix it, and we're going to make it right. Um, so I think that's important. It's important to know who you're dealing with and to do something. To work with someone who's done this for a long time and to work with people who are going to give you consult and talk to you and be there for you and not you know, just send you an email and say, here you go. It's too complex to do it that way.
1: So, so I guess if I had to sum that up, uh, things change. So stay on top of it. Uh, can tell you a quick personal anecdote. When we were IPs, um, uh, our surrogate was uh, changing jobs In the middle of our journey and the insurance policy was not clear whether or not surrogacy was excluded and so we took out an insurance policy because of that uncertainty Uh, right so so things can change and then also know that you have a human on the other end that is actually looking out for your best interests it isn't simply looking to sell another policy
0: That brings up such a good point because if employment does change mid-journey, then that's something else that has to be taken care of is insurance, which is a great point. So As soon as the surrogate updates the agency of this employment change, is that when all parties contact the insurance broker to get a review of that new policy? How does that look? Well, a couple things, because most employers have a wait, meaning that you might
2: have to wait 30, 60, or 90 days to get insurance. So what are we doing during this interim period? So either once she loses insurance, she has 60 days to enroll in an Affordable Care Act plan that will go forward. So that means if she doesn't talk to somebody as soon as this happens, she could be without insurance for a month. The other thing is, is that you can um, COBRA. So if she works for an employer that offers COBRA either on the federal or the state level, then she can COBRA her insurance for a period of time. The problem is once you agree to COBRA, then you no longer qualify for an Affordable Care Act plan until open enrollment happens. So you have to know how long you're on there. So yes, if you're a gestational carrier, the minute you lose your insurance for any reason, I know sometimes if if you lost it because you were laid off or that you were terminated from a job, it's embarrassing to say that. But by not speaking up and saying this happened so it can be taken care of in the time frames that are allowed, you're actually putting everybody at jeopardy and you're in breach of contract. So you don't want to do that. So if people let us know on a timely basis, we jump on it, we can get them insurance and get it taken care of so that they're not caught without insurance.
1: It's
0: such a great point.
1: It is. It is. And a a wonderful way for us to wrap up here. Virginia, this has been amazing. I think that we have packed in a lot of information. Uh, Some people may have to listen to this episode twice to make sure (laughs) that they understand uh, all these intricacies of insurance. I'm still learning a ton of these terms uh, every time I talk to you. Um, so we really appreciate everything uh, that you have offered on this podcast. Is there any closing thoughts or remarks that you'd like to make?
2: You know, just again, if you're embarking on a journey, make sure that you cover all of your bases, that you look at your contract carefully and that you have insurances in place to cover your financial liabilities. That's the most important thing and that you work with someone that you're comfortable with and that's going to be there for you.
1: Awesome. Some Thanks.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for tuning in to The Trusted Way, a Seed Trust podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date and never miss an episode.
0: If you'd like to reach out, you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Seed Trust Escrow. For links to everything discussed in today's podcast, be sure to check out the show notes. That's it for now, but we'll be back next month with more engaging conversations.